Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the HR Tech Chat video podcast. And today I have uh, with me a very special guest, Anita Lettink, who is the founder of HR Tech Radar and the author of a book, How to Select Your Next Payroll, The Ultimate Guide, which uh, which was published in the, in the last year or so. Um, welcome, Anita. Welcome. Um, I have done i've only scratched the surface in terms of your your background and experience and uh, if you would please share with the uh with the audience um uh, just some of your background and what what uh makes you an expert in payroll absolutely hi brent hi everyone thanks for listening yeah i'm an intelligent i have a background in technology last 20 25 years i spent in hr technology and uh, payroll and for 20 years i worked at ngahr which is an international um, hr and payroll consulting and outsourcing partner towards uh, the end of my um, employment it was acquired by a light uh, and then i saw it I'm going to fulfill a long time dream and uh, become an independent and work with uh, HR tech startups and scale ups and advise companies. And I do a lot of keynotes on the future of work on conferences mm. and in, uh, uh, in for in company training. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's quite quite the background. Um, and uh, I, just as a little anecdote, I, I remember meeting you um, somehow. Did we meet in person? I don't recall. It wasn't we did at HR Tech Conference, and I think it was the one in Chicago. Oh wow, wow, yeah, yeah. And I also recall, um, I recall about ten, gosh, ten plus years ago now. We, I, we'll, we'll just ballpark it. Yeah, in. but we stopped there. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was um, writing for HRO today, and and I was at a uh, Northgate or Rinzo yeah. uh, meeting, and that was pretty interesting. I think I think that was when I think Mike was it Mike Atling. He was there at the time. He was one of the CEOs that we had. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now he's at Unit Four and all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um. Really, really, it's a it's it's a small world, and 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 I'm so so uh, pleased to have you on the podcast, um, because um, payroll is just a really, really, let me just back up a little bit here. People from the outside looking in, they think payroll, I mean, payroll is important. It's very important. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't necessarily think, wow, it's interesting, right? That, And I'm, I'm just kind of channeling the sort of outside external person. It doesn't seem interesting, but but man, is it interesting. It's po possibly the most interesting area. Well, that might be there are many interesting areas in HCM, but it's one of the most interesting. There's a lot of fertile ground in payroll right now. Um, any thoughts around that? I mean, I'm not really doing it justice. I think you absolutely nailed it, actually, okay. because payroll is, if you do it right, Everyone is like, oh, yeah, of course, my payslip is correct. That is my expectation. You cannot overperform, right? It always needs to be 100% correct. But the moment that it isn't, even for a small group of people, then 
I would say all hell breaks loose. <laughs> um, and all the trust that you build up and the reputation that you had is gone overnight. So it's a very difficult profession in the sense that when you do it right, no one compliments you. <laughs> but when something goes wrong, the phone rings and you're in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, it's um that's that's a huge, huge point. Um I I like to say, you know, I, I don't uh, flip the switch on for the light in the morning uh, in my office and it comes on. I say, wow, let me call up the power company and think, mm -hmm. hey, you guys did a great job. The uh, electricity's on today, right? Exactly. Um, but if it's out, um, <laughs> no matter the time of day, I'm on I'm on the uh, online app. I'm on text message. I'm mm -hmm. trying to call them up. I've been through this a couple of times because we live in the sticks. Uh, but in any event, um, yeah. So it's it's kind of in in that sense, it's kind of a of a um, of a thankless um, job. That uh, might be a little bit a uh, little bit harsh to say, but but yeah. And you know what? The other thing that is really interesting about it right now is that. It's not well. You mentioned that you know all hell breaks loose if it's if it go if it's wrong if it's not one hundred percent correct. Um, it's something we talk about here at Three Sixty Insights. Um, it's just a way, a lens through which to look at HCM and and uh, payroll being you know payroll sometimes owned by finance, but uh, you mm -hmm. when it's owned by HR, it, we talk about concrete HCM. And abstract HCM, concrete HCM is you know everything that's you know having to do with efficiencies and automation and uh, what can be reduced to or translated, excuse me, to an, an actual number, usually a dollar amount um, or or a um, yeah dollar amount that actually fits into an accounting spreadsheet. And when you think about it that way, payroll is really the most could be thought of as the most concrete aspect of HCM because it's an actual dollar number that goes into the general ledger every every pay period. Um, but it's also the most abstract, abstract HCM being all this stuff having to do with employee experience, employee sentiment, employer culture, all these sorts of things that we know for a fact. We it, it's it's kind of foolish to argue against these things being important to organizational perpetuity and success and all this kind of stuff, but it can't be whittled down to an exact number that goes into a spreadsheet because it's a future thing. And so, so you can't actually put it into a number that goes in a spreadsheet in that it's so important. And when you talk about payroll going awry, right? That, yeah. I mean, I can't think of a, of a bigger employee sentiment crisis uh, for an organization than that. Exactly. And that was the reason that I started to write the book mm. because I was watching the news and reading some articles in the first months of this year. And I noticed that a lot of payroll problems hit the news where companies moved to a new system and after go live were unable to pay people correctly and in some cases the result was that of course people could not pay their bills had to loan money from family or even ended up at the food bank because they had no money in the bank especially if you live paycheck to pay to paycheck or if you were an hourly worker and then then the fact that you have no new income is uh, is a big 
problem. And so I started to look into it because I was just interested at that point. What is going on here? And at first I thought, okay, maybe there's one vendor and they don't have enough people because of the labor shortage. And so their go lives go wrong. But that wasn't the case. And then I thought, oh, so maybe it's a solution that is maybe not fit for purpose. And some people migrated onto that and it they went live on it. And it's it ha- it's just has having problems. That wasn't the case either. And the interesting thing was that this happened in the United States. I have examples in Canada, in the UK, in Ireland, in South Africa, in Finland, in a couple of places in, in Asia. So it everywhere. was everywhere. Yeah. It was everywhere. And I started to reach out to some of these people to learn what had gone wrong. And the common denominator was that early on in the process, there was a misalignment between the buyer and the vendor. Uh And if you do not catch that early enough, simply because you don't understand each other well, you don't talk the same language, then that hits you later on right you make butterfly effect yeah right you make assumptions about the other party doing stuff that you should do or vice versa Mm -hmm. and so it isn't done and so you aren't ready by january 1st when you want to go live or march 1st or whenever you want to go live but you have a burning platform you need to go live and so ultimately you have no other choice than run the new payroll on your new engine and that meant that I thought that this is something that I can do, um, that I can do something about because I know I know a lot about payroll. I know what happens in the first basis and during the sales process. And so if I can educate the buyer a little bit better, that they are prepared, that, that they know in advance which decisions they will have to take during the process, that will probably help everyone. It will help the buyer because they come prepared and they know what lies ahead. Mm. And it also helps the vendor because they now know that you are talking on a little bit more equal footing than you might have done previously. Mm. Um, And I think from the, from the responses that I got, as you mentioned, the book came out in, uh, in September, this is exactly what is happening. Um, So yeah, that's a goal wow. achieved, I would say. That's yeah. that's that's fascinating. So, so you were able to determine. If, I'm I'm just sort of, sort of uh, reiterate what you said in a different way. Um, just so I'm getting it right, you were able to determine that that a lot of these problems with payroll they all they're all traceable back. A lot of them are traceable back to a certain point in time uh, or a phase in the vendor uh, customer relationship that's fairly early yeah where they they just they they don't even realize that they're misaligning but they're misaligning and then just snowballs and and it turns into a into a big problem yeah and this is this is also based on my own experience while working at NGA and and uh, being involved in these sales. Um, projects, mm-hmm. a large portion of it, especially when you're selling regional payroll or global pay- payroll, is educating the buyer on what kind of services are you getting when you sign with an external vendor? What kind of solution are you getting? Both sides make a lot of assumptions because 
um, the vendor is so focused on, you know, this is our service. We know exactly what we are delivering, mm -hmm. but the buyer has worked with another vendor or they currently run their own. So mm -hmm. their mindset is what they have. And it's never exactly the same. And unless you are very precise in, in defining, okay, this is what we currently have and this is what we expect you to deliver. And you match that point point by point, um, then there's always a misconception or something that does not quite line up. And the other part of it is that buyers buy, go out to market every five years, maybe every 10 years if mm -hmm. they extend one time, right? So the experience that they have is from five years ago. Yeah. But in the meantime, everything has changed. And if it's 10 years ago, a lot more has changed. Yeah. And vendors, they sell this on a continuous base. This is their thing, right? This is their, this yeah. is their, their expertise. So they have an enormous knowledge advantage over uh, over the buyer. And I try to bridge that gap a mm. little bit so that buyers are more aware of what makes a difference and, and how can you be successful? What are the things that you need to decide on early? <clears throat> what are the things that you need to ask for? What are the steps that you need to take mm. during the process? And I don't imagine that I will completely um, the, or, or that my book helps them helps these problems completely disappear. But I hope that it brings the vendor and the buyer a little bit closer together so that they talk about the same things. And when they don't, they realize that they don't talk about the same things. Yeah. Well, awareness is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. um, now, humor me for a moment. I have a little bit of, of an, a hypothesis that's sort okay. of developing in my head while I'm listening to you. Um, and it could be completely wrong. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But the buying process has obviously changed immensely over the past 10, 15 yes. years, you know, with the advent of the cloud. Some of this is, you know, it's almost old hat to say that the cloud has taken over. But, but you know, just it has. And used to be IT running the bus, you know, with um, with uh, on-premises solutions. Um, I insist on calling them on-premises, not on-premise. But anyway, this is an aside. Uh, but... Uh, now we have lots of cooks in the kitchen, lots of stakeholders. On the buyer side, you have the CFO who has uh, their own uh, priorities. You have mm -hmm. a line of business managers, office, uh, often the um, the uh, the internal champion, point of contact. Um, you have you know maybe employee experience council. We've seen that you know maybe uh, maybe an operations uh, person, uh, COO possibly, and, and all sorts of other people. Um, have you seen? Do you think that do you think that these sort of these problems that 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 um these issues that uh that surface early mm -hmm. that they're undetected and turn into a big monster once it's deployed and you've done your first payroll is there more of that now than there used to be um or is it or is this something that sort of transcends all that is evergreen is perennial and it's, it's because of other things I think that why it's more visible now is, first of all, um, every employee that isn't being paid correctly drops it on Twitter or on LinkedIn. Oh, right. Yeah. So the, the visibility is, or Instagram or whatever, the visibility is a lot higher. Mm. So that is 
one. Um, secondly, um, payroll is never exactly the same. You know that, right? Yeah. Every company has their own twerks and, and they have these legacy policies and you need to explain them. But if they are from a couple of years ago, then maybe no one is there anymore that can explain them. And so people are not being paid what, uh, correctly because no one knows anymore that there were exceptions or that there was, uh, was a legacy policy. And also in, in many of the large companies that I have uh, worked with, you have a, a procurement department and this procurement department has a process and they run that process. Yeah. And one of the things that they do very well is negotiate the price. Um, and negotiated as low as possible, but that comes with a consequence. And sometimes what is not clear is that the lower the price, the less movement or room to wiggle the vendor has. And at a certain point in time, you box them in so much that they hardly make a profit anymore. And that is not to say that they cannot deliver a good payroll. They really can. Um, but with the way that you negotiate is that when you lower the price, the vendor probably takes out some services, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so you, you keep on, and, and so something falls along the wayside. And if, if there's no one that is able to say, look, you have now negotiated this out of the contract. This is a basic service. We need this. This is important because we cannot do this in-house anymore, right? Mm. And then you discover that after you you're, you go live, that is a problem. And then one of the things that I think is not helping anyone is that a lot of really good professional payroll admins are retiring. Mm. And there is no one within companies that are able or willing um, wow. to take that over companies say okay so and so is retiring this is the moment that we bring it all externally and if you do that you lose knowledge and so if you then move from one provider to another mm. then it is really hard to understand what exactly you are moving because no one knows the intricacies and the details yeah. of payroll anymore and as you know um the mm. devil is in the details yeah. with payroll it always is yeah i i'm hearing you know there's a there's a um uh there's a difficulty in um paying paying it forward in terms of um legacy ip when it yeah. comes to the payroll department i'm hearing that uh, there's a there's a talent pipeline problem in yeah. payroll administration right now um and what i'm also hearing is that what 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 i'm inferring is that payroll the people actually run payroll mm -hmm. need to uh, uh i put this uh, need to step up their their game that might not be the way the right way to put it they need to ensure they need to be very vocal during the buying process so that other stakeholders that have sort of um, intrinsic control over the process don't take over, you know, mm -hmm. the, you know, yeah. the, 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 um, the procurement department, which really doesn't know um, much at all about 
actually processing payroll. Uh, what what a what a what a travesty if if they're sort of driving the process and the payroll uh, leadership isn't you know doesn't have strong input into that into that. That's what I'm hearing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah in this case, you really must learn must listen to the expert. Hmm. Let you know you you, you mentioned um, that uh, you know uh, problems with issues with payroll, payroll gone wrong are more mm-hmm. visible today, sort of in aggregate um, in the macro because of, you know, social media. And, and it, it sounds so cliche, but it's true. You know, <laughs> your payroll goes wrong and your employee goes on Twitter and uh, drops a nasty tweet uh, about it. And, and, oh gosh, your employer brand is uh, all of a sudden starting to, uh, there's a chink in the armor right away. Yeah. Um, yeah. you, you were, uh, we were talking, um, previously online and you mentioned demographic skills and automation being, I think I have that right. Sort of a right. trifecta that's sort of affecting payroll and, and, and I, this to me seems like a good place to pivot our conversation a little bit to talk about how, okay. you know, the dynamics of payroll uh vis-a-vis the workforce like how is this changing it used to be that um just for viewers i'll just kind of give an uh possibly a very clumsy overview but but uh my 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 understanding is that you know we've moved beyond you know payroll just being this thing that um that's in the background even for employees right you know it's it's um get it right make sure it's right and then everybody's happy and then nobody talks about it um We've moved beyond that where where even if it, if it's wrong, you know, it's kind of quiet in the background. You can take care of it. It's an internal real mm-hmm. headache, but it doesn't necessarily get out into the wild there. But now we're in this situation where it can actually um, uh, spread like a wildfire, sort of the negativity, A and B. Um, the other side of the coin there is that payroll is becoming much more of a, of a well, what I'm, I've heard is that it's becoming more of an experience uh, than a than a sort of a um and a you know a, a regular occurrence um maybe you can speak to some of that yeah i think that first of all you see a lot of different people in the workforce now in the past it was very much you are a full-time employee or uh, a part-time employee but you have a job with an employer and what you see a little bit as a result of a pandemic where people started to rethink their priorities, um, but also because people are now starting to understand that a permanent job, well, it sounds nice that you have a permanent job, but when companies have problems, especially when they have financial problems, you lose your job anyway, right? You might get some more money, um, but a permanent contract is not a guarantee. Yeah. And so that means that this notion of I have a permanent job, so that means I have a guaranteed income, has also suffered mm-hmm. somewhat. And especially among young people, younger people, I would say, you see that they are diversifying income streams. Mm-hmm. And that means they might have a job for three, maybe four days a week. Um, but that covers the basics. They pay their mortgages and food and insurance and their car payments out of that. But all the extras come from additional activities, as I would say. And so maybe they have a store on Shopify where they sell 
craft, arts and crafts, mm. or maybe they work on a startup. And so the whole notion of one employer, one income is really under pressure in a lot of um, situations and especially among the workforce, I would say below 35, mm -hmm. they, they have a completely different view. And then of course, there are a lot of people that cannot make ends meet on one job and they need two or three jobs just to yeah. because of uh, low income mm -hmm. and they need more jobs to cover even the basics. So you see all these variations um, that are putting this, I have one job with one employer that gives me one income that is really under pressure. Interesting. Interesting. And so this is, this is uh, transforming the, the very concept of what payroll is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, I think something else that plays into that. And that is, the focus on mental health okay. and what some research has uncovered is that often mental health problems are caused by financial problems mm. because if you do not know how you will pay the bills this month and you sit at work or you, you are at work and you're constantly thinking oh where will I get the money to pay my mortgage? Well, where will I get the money to pay my rent? You are not a productive employee because you have other things on your mind mm. that take precedence over, uh, over work. And so where in the past, employers would pay people and that was it, yeah. right? There, you did not cross into the personal domain of an employee you see that line disappearing with employers mm -hmm. offering all kinds of financial education, sometimes apps. And I also see in the, uh, in the startups and scale-ups that I'm working with, a lot of focus on support solutions that employers can, can offer to employees to help them manage their money, manage their spending, uh, maybe help them budget, and um, be more in control of what they earn. Mm. And the, the interesting thing about that is that while the employer might offer that, you can also then add the income that you get from others. So oh. it's not only for what you earn with that one employer, you can add um, mm. your one or two other income streams. Which I think is because, and, and that gives you then a holistic picture of what you are actually making and how much you can spend. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I that's making sense. You know, what I'm also hearing here is is um is is that employers or paying let's call them paying organizations, right? <laughs> because you know, the, the, I think that I think you make a good point about sort of the uh, the evolution of. The idea, especially in the younger generation, the evolution of the idea of having a permanent role, you know, permanent role, I mm -hmm. heard to call it maybe full time um, uh, because nothing's permanent. Uh, but to me, I'm hearing that paying organizations can uh, help to mitigate some of the mental unwellness that 
that's traceable back to financial okay. hardship by practicing empathy and empathy in the form of financial wellness um you know services is yeah. one way to do that yeah i'm what i, I want to be careful here what i'm not saying is mental health equals financial difficulties because that mm. is not the link that that we can make but okay. what we do know is that when there when people have mental health issues let's say half of that or sometimes more than half of that come from financial issues mm -hmm. but then of course there are also i want to be very clear on this very careful on this there are also mental health issues that are completely separate from yes financial issues yeah thank you for for um adding that clarity there uh, it does i think it does uh however seem to follow that if uh, that if employees are are if you have an uh, if you have a contrib what's called them contributors, not employers, employees, right? <laughs> if you're right. a paying organization with a contributor uh, who is experiencing financial, um, you know, uh, sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, clear and present financial hardship, yeah. uh, it's going to have a, a, a direct uh, detrimental impact on their productivity. Yeah. And so in this, in this regard, um, it's really, you know, cost effective for organizations to practice this empathy related to, um, you know, around the edges of pay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and I think the interesting thing there is that as an employer, you, you then actually cross over into the personal domain where yeah. in the past that was a line that employers did not cross, right? You pay it and then whatever the employee does with it, that is their decision to make. And now employers start to move very carefully, very lightly, but they are stepping over that line and they, re they are reaching out to their people and say, hey, if this is the case for you, then let's have this conversation. Mm -hmm. I have some tools available to you. I have some education available. Uh, can can you benefit from that? Mm -hmm. And even though I I think that you know work is work and personal is personal mm -hmm. or private is private, then th this is um, something that can actually benefit people because when people learn to manage their money that has a tremendous effect on their life and also on their personal well-being yeah. right and actually it's something that we should learn hopefully in our family like from our parents or we should learn it in school but we know that that isn't the case for everyone um so i think it is a benefit in in many cases yeah yeah it humanizes the organization too you yes. know, there's a, there's a, um, uh, for a very long time, there's been a, um, an inclination to, to ignore or, or downplay the, um, the obvious humanness that's involved in work, mm -hmm. right? And so, right. you know, there, there can still be healthy boundaries uh, between the private and the work life, but at the same time, there can be you know sort of a middle ground or a little bit of a of just mm -hmm. just enough of a of a of an yeah. acknowledgement there. Um, you're absolutely correct. And you know uh, another thing that I'm inferring from what you're saying here is that 
you know, if you're a, if you're going back to the selection process and the um, and that whole mm-hmm. dance between the vendor and um, and customer at the very outset, maybe when they're still deciding between vendors, right? Um, uh, I'd, th- I'd say table stakes today, um, especially for some sectors of the workforce, or you know, earned wage access, you know, mm-hmm. the, um, you know, uh, on demand yeah. pay or streaming pay, which is something I'm seeing a little bit more of. Uh, yeah. What are some other Maybe what are what are, what would you say are some other table stakes? What are some things you know must haves? You know, if if the vendor just doesn't have this, then you know, move on to a different vendor before you make a big mistake. I would say be do your due diligence on payroll automation. Mm. Every manual action in a payroll process has the potential to go wrong. <laughs> and yeah, whenever there's a human intervention, you you run the risk that it goes wrong. Mm. And so the more that a vendor has automated the process, the less need there is for human intervention. Mm. And you really want to dig deep into what they are doing and especially what they have on the roadmap, what they have already delivered, because you and I know that a roadmap is not a guarantee to to anything, right? A roadmap is is a plan, Hmm. Uh, but it would really be, it is important to look at that and see what they have already done and what they are planning uh, to deliver. Hmm. One example of that is anomaly detection. Not everyone has that yet, but it can make your life a lot easier in um, the DEY conversation. Do mm. we pay people equally here? Okay. And how do we even know that we pay people equally? Well, with anomaly detection, you can let the program run and analyze various groups. And the moment that a certain group in like there are 100 employees in a group and they all have the same benefit except for one there mm. then you have your anomaly mm. and the, the an anomaly detection will service that one person so that you can take a look at it and understand why this person does not have this benefit mm. and probably correct it and when you do the the program learns from that so the next time <laughs> that the same thing happens, the program will service the person, but will immediately suggest a solution. Mm. And then if, if anomaly ha- detection has enough experience, it can just autocorrect. Uh, if you trust it to do that, then it can just autocorrect these types of um, deviations that it encounters on the, on the fly. I think this one, because you know, with pay transparency and, yeah. and pay equity and, and equal pay, this is, really a must-have, especially if you live in a country where it's mandatory to report uh, on that. Yeah. I'm so glad you you mentioned pay transparency. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> you know, with DE, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and belonging, and, uh, and but also with pay transparency, these sorts of things, you know, 
yeah, anomaly detection uh, seems to me you you've convinced me. <laughs> it's, it's, okay. it's, it's definitely okay. a must have. And and um, my understanding is that this is this comes from you know innovations in payroll technology like machine learning, um, yes. and these sorts of things. Yeah. So so there's so much to unpack there. And I, and I'm looking at the time, um, and I think we're out of time. <laughs> but, but we we'll do that you know, the next time, friends. Yeah. Exactly. We're we're singing the same song. I'd love to have you again as a guest uh, another time that we can get into some of these other things. But uh, in the meantime, Anita, thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom with our audience. I think we uh, uh, hopefully we hopefully we were able to uh, provide some uh, really valuable information for them today. Thanks for having me today, Brent. Absolutely. Bye bye. Bye.